well, you guys, it's Palm Sunday. And, and the kids came in. They had their palm branches. I think that's a little bit, sometimes my mind thinks uh, about what happens with the same people in the Bible. They're, they're waving the palm branches on Sunday. And then five days later, they're screaming, you know, give us Barabbas, crucify him. So I just got to be honest. I'm seeing the little kids and I'm like, these innocent kids, give us Barabbas, crucify him, right? But you know, we see the kids, but let's just be honest, we're, we're the children of God, right? So uh, we see God's response to that exact thing as Jesus is hanging on the cross, perfect love, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And uh, that's how he sees us as those kids, right? And, and we were the joy that was set before him. When the Bible says, why did Jesus go through what he did? Why did he choose the torture to go through that? Well, I mean, he could have ended that in a second, and he proved it in the garden. The soldiers show up. I've heard someone say it was up to between 40 and 50 Roman soldiers armed show up in the garden after Jesus intercedes all night, and Judas is with him. He kisses Jesus. He says, the one who I kiss that's the one you're going to arrest. That's the one you're going to kill. He kisses Jesus, and the soldier says, are you Jesus? You know what he said next? In the King James, it says, I am he. But you'll notice that that word he in your King James Bible is in italics, meaning it was added to the translation to make the grammar, to make it make sense grammatically. What Jesus really said was the exact same words God used to reveal himself to Abraham, I am. And when Jesus said, I am, all of those armed soldiers fell backwards under the power of the Holy Spirit and were immobilized. Tell me Jesus was forced into what he did for us. No, he did it willingly. He went with them willingly. He was silent at his trial willingly. He took the stripes on his back for our healing. He took our sorrows upon himself. He took our sin and our disease upon his own body. And he let himself be nailed to the cross. And even that didn't kill him. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. It took sometimes days for people to die when they were hung on a cross. You can look up historically. Sometimes it took multiple days they would hang there alive. Jesus gave up his own spirit within, a, within moments of being hung on the cross. Because it was finished. The work was completed. His work that he came to do was complete. When the people a week before were shouting Hosanna, waving the palm branches, the translation for the word Hosanna, most scholars will agree that it is the phrase, save us now. Save us now. The crowd wasn't just chanting something that uh, they all decided beforehand they would chant. They were actually quoting Psalm 118. Psalm 118, 25 and 26 says, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's Psalm 118, 25, 26. And John 12, 12 and 13, we have the story of the crowd shouting Hosanna. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors. So, so Jerusalem, the city, was packed because it was Passover. That was the festival where they celebrated uh, the angel of death that 
that uh, all, the, all the firstborn Egyptians died in the plague, but the promise was that the Hebrew families, they painted blood of the lamb, an actual lamb. They put blood over their doorpost and none of the firstborn died. The angel of death passed over their homes. So this is, uh, this is a couple thousand years later and, and the people are in Jerusalem celebrating the festival of Passover. And it says they took palm branches and went down the road to meet Jesus. They shouted, praise God, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. So there was something about this moment where this crowd recognized something and someone significant is here. Something is happening. This is what David, this is what the psalmist in who wrote Psalm 118 was prophesying about. This is the one who Isaiah the prophet wrote about. This is the one we've been waiting on. Save us, save us now. They were a people who were displaced. They were under control of the Roman government. Jerusalem, uh, they, they basically got to worship because the government told them they can worship. Listen, we just don't know how blessed we are to live in a day and age in a country where we can legally gather like this, not because the government tells us so, but because we have the right to do it. Don't ever lose sight of that blessing. This is something we can easily take for granted, but this is something very special and semi-unique to the time we're living in. So thank you, Jesus, that we have this chance to meet here. The crowd shouted, Hosanna. They were saying, please save us, please save us. And then we know five days later, because of the joy that was set before him, he went through what he went through and did it all for us. So what was that joy? Why did he do what he did? To be with us. The relationship with us, never being disconnected from his creation. It's so easy to think of of Jesus on the cross and and yes, he's the Son of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They are a three-part, a triune God. And, and sometimes I, I, I can get into that mode, man, how could you watch your own son down the cross? I can't imagine that. However, let's not lose sight that it wasn't just God, the Son on the cross. It was God. Jesus was God. Yes, He sacrificed and allowed his son to be sacrificed, but don't lose sight that he is a three-part being. He gave up his own life on that cross for us because we, our relationship with him was the joy set before him. That means to God, you were worth it. To Jesus, you were worth it. You might think you're worthless. You might feel like you're a screw-up. You might feel like you've never done anything good in this world, but let me tell you, you were worth it and you are worth it. You want to know your worth? You're worth the life of your Savior. Let's say this together. I am worth it. You ready? I am worth it. Ooh, there's somebody in here that just couldn't say it. I didn't see you with my eyes, but I felt it. See if you can do it this time. You ready? I am worth it. All right, sometimes the third time's the charm. You ready? I am worth it. You, in your current state, were worth the life of Jesus. Well, how can I be worth it? You don't know what I've done. He knew what you would do. Don't forget, this didn't happen today. It didn't happen tomorrow. This happened 2,000 years ago. You weren't even born. In the words of all of our southern parents, you weren't even a twinkle in your father's eyes. 
Your father wasn't even a twinkle in his father's eyes. And that guy wasn't even a twinkle in that guy's eyes. There were no twinkles. But Jesus, God who has seen the end from the beginning, knew every part of you, knew every part of your life. He knew the day you were born 2,000 years ago. He knows the day you'll be with him forever in heaven. And he said, John's worth it. Rob is worth it. He said, Lisa is worth it. Cohen is worth it. And if Tom was the only person that ever said yes to Jesus, Tom would be worth it. Save us now. And he did. It wasn't what they were expecting. They were expecting him to pull a sword out, to overthrow the government, to sit on Caesar's throne and say, now I'm the king. He did the complete opposite. He gave up his life. He didn't save them in that moment. He saved us for eternity. And then he says something very surprising after his resurrection. And that's what I want to talk about today. How did he save us? Well, he died. He rose again. He destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed and took the keys of death. And eternal life starts the moment we say yes to Jesus, not in heaven. That's how he saved us. And then did he leave us high and dry and go to heaven? Wouldn't it be great if he was just still walking around? Wouldn't it be great if we could have Jesus as a special guest speaker on a Sunday? I can tell you what would happen. This place would be packed. And then before he would be done talking, it would be empty. I mean, only a few of you laughed, but I'm telling you, it's true. There could be a thousand people here to hear the special guest speaker, Jesus. And by the time he'd be done, there might be 12. And one of them might have ulterior motives. And all but one of those 11 might deny him before that meeting is over. It's happened before. What makes you think we're any different? I mean, I'm not, I'm not just like spitting here. I'm not just like talking from the hip. I'm not, I mean, it's all happened before. History repeats itself. Just let me tell you. But this is something Jesus said before he ascended to heaven. It comes from John 16. This is, actually, this is before he's, this is before the cross. This is, this is during the week after the people shouted Hosanna and before the Friday when he was crucified, he's speaking to the disciples and he says, now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not any one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you're grieving because of what I've told you. He's like, guys, pull it together. Stop being all weepy and ask me some questions. Let's have a conversation here. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. If the, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. I love when Jesus explains himself. He says the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin, God's righteousness, and judgment. And then he says, if you weren't paying attention, let me tell you the sin he will convict you of is your unbelief. The righteousness he will convict you of is God's righteousness. And the judgment he's going to bring is against the ruler of the air and the prince of this world. That's Satan. That's what he's going to do. And then he says, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all truth. So Jesus has said two really surprising things here. He says, I have to go away. Can you imagine? You're walking with Jesus in the flesh, and he says, I'm going. And you think, wait a minute, no. And he says, believe me, you want me to. It's going to be better for you if I'm not here in the flesh. And then he elaborates and says, there's things I could tell you right now, and you won't understand them. But when the advocate, the Holy Spirit comes, then you will understand. So he's withholding information here because he says, until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not understand what I'm about to say. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but I but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatsoever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is what I said. The Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So here's the very surprising thing Jesus said. I, as a kid, used to think, how great would it be if Jesus was sitting beside me right now? I probably wouldn't be tempted by these same things that tempt me. I probably wouldn't be confused because I could ask him a question. I probably wouldn't uh, do this. I probably, 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 probably. And here Jesus himself is saying, it's better for you to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit the ministry directly from me in the flesh. Man, that's a powerful truth. And it is not from my mouth. That is straight from the mouth of Jesus. You want me to go so I can send the advocate. So I'm going to do my best to get through seven things that the word says. And there's more than seven. But I want to talk about seven things. And this is kind of a bold statement. So bear with me. Seven things that make the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is what you and I, what you and I enjoy as believers, what makes the ministry of the Holy Spirit better than the ministry of Jesus in the flesh. And that's not from my mouth. That is from the mouth of Jesus, right? So don't don't crucify me. We already crucified the guy that said it, all right? He said it, though, so let's see why he said it, right? And again, as we go through these reasons, let's keep in mind the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was here in the flesh, and now through the Holy Spirit, he dwells in us. They're one and the same. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit that dwelled in Jesus. So really, what we're talking about is what makes being filled with the Holy Spirit as the New Testament believer, better than walking side by side with Jesus in the flesh. So we're talking about how good we all have it. That's what this message is about, how good you have it and how good I have it. We'll jump right into reason number one. I just said it. Maybe Jesus walked beside them in the flesh and we think that'd be great, but the Holy Spirit is even closer to us. Here's reason number one. He dwells inside of us. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. We just read this. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus walked side by side with the disciples. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. Jesus was limited by his flesh. Think about that. In fact, there's even a verse that says, He could not do many miracles in his own hometown. They limited Jesus because they were so familiar with his flesh. They saw him grow up. 
When Jesus went to his hometown and was trying to perform miracles, evidently they didn't see many, or maybe I wasn't there. Maybe he just knew by the Spirit they wouldn't receive. So maybe he didn't try to do any. Maybe he just knew they wouldn't receive. But the truth that the Word says is they were so familiar with him, they limited him, and he could not do many miracles. What do you mean this guy does miracles? I saw that kid grow up. I remember when he couldn't even carve a a table. His tables were all bumpy and bouncy. His dad had to show him the right way. He kept messing up, right? They saw his limitations of his flesh, and he wasn't able to do many miracles in his hometown. Jesus was limited by his flesh. The Holy Spirit is not limited by a flesh body. Jesus could be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit is literally present in every believer across the world. The same Holy Spirit inside of me is inside a believer somewhere in China right now. Man, one of the best stories I ever heard was my friend Jeremy who pastored a church in Turkey. And uh, I'm not sure what the exact situation there is now, but 15 years ago, that was one of the countries where Christians were the most persecuted across the globe. And it was so such heavy persecution. He told me one day when he was here with us at our church ministering, he said, he goes, 587. And I said, what is that? He goes, somebody got saved yesterday in Turkey. There's now 587 Christians. And I was like, all right, that's awesome. And uh, I, I, I asked him a million questions. I'm like, what, what do you guys do for church? He goes, it's all, it's all secret. We have to be secret. If, if they find out we're meeting, they'll come in guns blazing. I said, well, how do you keep them away from your church? And he goes, you mean our building? We don't have a building. He goes, we meet somewhere different every week. And I said, how do you send messages to everybody that's not intercepted by government? He goes, we don't send messages. He goes, everybody in the church just has to pray. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, the Holy Spirit tells everybody where to meet. And I said, and you all show up at the same place? He looked at me surprised. He's like, yeah, every Sunday. Like, everybody? He goes, yeah, everybody. So nobody tells anybody anything. They all pray and show up at the same place for church. That's pretty awesome. I'm telling you, we can sure take for granted what we have right here. I put it on the internet that we were meeting today at 1030. And I even tagged the address. Right? We got it good. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in me is in those 587, hopefully plus now, Christians in Turkey. Reason number one why Jesus said, you want me to go because I'm going to send something even better for you. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives us revelation knowledge. It's a good word. Grew up in a charismatic church. You heard those words a whole lot, revelation knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So without the Holy Spirit, there are things we can't understand. This is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, I'm not going to tell you everything right now, because you won't understand. He was with them in the flesh. The Holy Spirit had not come on the day of Pentecost yet and dwelled on the inside of them. So he said, just hang on and wait. I'm not going to tell you things right now, but soon you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you can understand these things. Do you know how important this knowledge that you can only perceive through the Holy Spirit is? It's so important that when Jesus ascended to heaven, everybody who was around him, the disciples and others, He said, listen, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell everybody about me. Make disciples of the nations. 
Before you do that, go lock yourself in a room and don't say a word to anybody until the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and then go do that stuff. He didn't want them to walk across the street and say, did y'all see Jesus? He just ascended to heaven on a cloud. He died for us. He's forgiven us of our sins and he's your savior too. Jesus said, no, don't go do that yet. You gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit first or it's not gonna do anything. So he said, Here's how important it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go lock yourselves in a room and don't come out. How will we know what happened? Oh, you'll know. They locked themselves in a room and tongues of fire appeared above their heads. And they all started speaking different languages. And, and they started seeing miracles. And they walked across the, 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 the street and their shadow fell upon sick people and they were healed. Oh, they knew. If you don't know, if there's no evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then it's time to let some evidence out. You got it in there, but you got you to gotta get that evidence out. You got to start taking some chances, take some risks. My friends, Jonathan and Keeley are the king and queen of taking risks when it comes to evangelism. They'll walk up to a perfect stranger and, 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 and just prophesy to them. And sometimes you get rejected and sometimes people turn into a puddle on the floor and give their life to the Lord right away. We've seen some really cool things together. They've seen some awesome things. The Holy Spirit gives us revelation knowledge. And Jesus himself said, you won't be able to understand the things I'm saying. So I'm not even gonna say them. I'm gonna say them through my Holy Spirit-filled servants, through the Apostle Paul, through Peter, through John. They're gonna get written down And then you're going to take those things that they write down and the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to lead you to understanding them as well. That's number two. Number three, this is a good one. The Holy Spirit gives you power. Every second of every day. There's not a day where the power goes out for the believer. There's not one day. What is it called um, when they roll the power out in different areas? What is that called? power outages and stuff they're doing now. Like we got an email a few months back on the coldest day of the year. And they're like, your power is going to go out for like three hours, man. That doesn't happen for the believer. There's not a moment when the power goes out, not on your best day. And this is one that some people find hard to believe. The power doesn't go out on your worst day. The power doesn't go out when you're doing right. The power doesn't go out when you're doing wrong. Those wrongs have been covered by the blood of Jesus. So should we just do wrong and not worry about it? Absolutely not. That's not what the Lord will lead you to do in your life. There are some pretty heavy consequences for wrong actions. It'd just be better if none of us had to deal with those, right? However, one of those consequences is not separation from God. And another one of those consequences is not the power going out. You'll never be left. You'll never be forsaken. There's no height, depth, east, west that could separate you from the love of God. And the Holy Spirit never leaves you. David wrote these words in the Old Testament. He said, please take not your spirit from me. That was a good prayer for a Old Testament believer like David to write. However, for a New Testament believer, it would be 100% wrong for us to pray, Lord, please don't take your spirit from me. He's already said, I will never depart from you and I'll never take my spirit from you. That's a prayer of unbelief for a New Testament believer. So reason number three, the Holy Spirit gives you power. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power 
after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will not be witnesses before the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said, wait, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses. You will be witnesses. Remember what Paul said? I could speak words and with the tongues of angels. He said, I could heal the sick. I could cast out demons. But if I didn't do it in love, it would be nothing more than a clanging cymbal making noise. The way you witness in love is through the Holy Spirit. And talk about power that the Holy Spirit gives. Think about the disciples before they received the Holy Spirit and after. When they were walking with Jesus, okay, we have story after story of them uh, being fearful, right? There was plenty of times the disciples got afraid and they were in the boat. They had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people in a miracle and they were terrified they were going to drown in a boat, sleeping, uh, standing beside Jesus who was sleeping. So Jesus in the flesh... Right beside them, they were terrified. After the Holy Spirit, they were standing before governors that could have thrown them to lions and boldly declaring the name of Jesus. Stephen, as he's being stoned, looks up into heaven and blesses the Lord in boldness after the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of him. Thomas, I won't believe in you unless I can see the scars on your hand. And after being filled with the Holy Spirit, we read about nothing but boldness. Men, women keeping their testimonies as they're being just killed, burned alive, boiled alive in oil. The apostle John was boiled alive in oil, yet kept his testimony. I mean, disciple after disciple were murdered. Timothy was dragged out of his church and stoned in the streets to death. Yet they kept their testimonies in boldness after the Holy Spirit dwelled on the inside of them. However, Jesus in the flesh, in a boat with them, they were afraid they were going to drown. Before the Holy Spirit dwelled inside of them, they denied Jesus and completely abandoned him in his moment of need. Even Peter denied him three times at the cross. After the Holy Spirit dwelled inside of Peter, you get nothing but boldness. Never is there a moment when he denies his faith again. This is the power, part of the power that the Holy Spirit gives the believer that they did not have as they walked with Jesus in the flesh. Just like Jesus was limited by his flesh, without the Holy Spirit, we're limited by our flesh. But with the Holy Spirit, what did Paul say? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. No limits. Number four. The Holy Spirit brings things to our remembrance that we need to remember. This is kind of a really cool, basic, uh, practical principle. But John 14, 26, Jesus says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. Have you ever heard a sermon and thought to yourself, Ooh, I hope I remember this when I need it tomorrow when I go to work. I hope, you know, Pastor just talked about uh, keeping your testimony in a good place and witnessing to my friends. When I get to my work tomorrow, I hope I remember what he said so I can boldly witness to my friends. Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring those things to your remembrance when you need to remember them. Paul said, I don't even prepare what I'm going to say before I speak. I just allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me. 
He said, I don't worry about it. When he was in the middle of Greek scholars and some of the most intelligent people in the world, and realistically, he most likely was one of also the most intelligent people in that room. However, he said, I didn't take time to write down all my high and lofty ideas so I could impress all these great thinkers with my beautiful speech. Instead, I prepared nothing and I allowed the Holy Spirit to speak through me because he brings things to our remembrance when we need to remember them. So stop worrying about it. Stop thinking I got to take better notes. I'm all for taking notes, but remind yourself that when you need to remember what the Lord has spoken, the Holy Spirit inside of you will remind you. That was number four. Uh, there's a great, great testimony uh, that, that Eric Johnson gave us when he was here in August, a very practical application of this. I don't know if you guys were here, if you remember it, but he said he had, uh, they were at the beach with some friends of theirs, and one of the, the ladies he was with started freaking out, and she said, a bug just crawled in my ear, and she was freaking out. I mean, I kind of probably wouldn't like it either if I knew a bug had just crawled in my ear. And he said, in that moment, she's about to stick her finger in her ear and get the bug out. And he remembered watching something on National Geographic TV like months before where some guy out in the wilderness and a bug crawled into his ear. And he's like, let me show you how to get any bug out of your ear. Put your head over, pour some water in your ear. It'll drown the bug out. He'll come out on his own because he doesn't want to drown. So he said, as soon as this girl said, there's a bug in my ear, he said, don't put your finger in your ear. He remembered it at the exact right time, poured some water in it. The bug came out. Everybody was all right practical application of this principle. Man, the Holy Spirit will bring things to your remembrance at the right time. That's number four. Number five and number six are two things we talk about all the time here, so I might not spend a ton of time on them. In fact, I know I'm not. But number five is the Holy Spirit inside of you brings gifts that you don't have without him. They are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They are the words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, prophecy, healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Nine gifts the Holy Spirit brings to every believer's life. Every believer, that's how that chapter stops. These gifts are given to every believer. Now, some of us operate in some of these gifts stronger than others, just like anybody in here can play basketball. However, there's a few people in here that are better at basketball than the rest of us, right? We're all able to do it. However, some are better. We all, every believer, receive these nine gifts with the Holy Spirit, and we can walk and operate in every one of them. However, we cannot without the Holy Spirit. Another reason the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is even better than me being here in the flesh. Number six, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in your life. We just did a whole series about it. Galatians 5.22, this is the fruit that will be produced in your life when the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. These are great things. Somebody told me this this week, and I just wanted to jump down their throats immediately, but I felt the Holy Spirit's restraint. They said, these are just things I can't control in my life. And I just said, wait, are you a believer? And you're telling me you can't control something? You can't control your own actions? You can't control this? There's some kind of spirit out there forcing you to do it? No, there's a greater spirit in you that gives you self-control. I don't care what spirit is out here. I don't even care if you're filled with demons. 
There's a Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And we could get into theology about that all day. Not important. I don't know if a Christian can be demon-possessed or demon-oppressed. All I know is that if you're a Christian, you got authority over all of it. So it don't matter. Just take authority and get it out of there. But this person says to me, I just can't control these things. I haven't been able to my entire life. I just want to say, "Mm, you don't listen in church because the Holy Spirit brings self-control to your life. The fruit of the Spirit are what will be produced and what can be. You have to allow it to happen. It doesn't happen on its own. You have to allow these fruits to grow within you. But it's something that every believer can. It's the same as I believe Pastor Brittany said it last week. You know, that I'm just not a patient person. That is agreeing with the enemy. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit, patience. Come on. I self-controlled myself not to say anything in that moment. Number seven and the last one, and there are so many more reasons. In fact, I actually had 10 or 11 in my head and cut it off at this one, number seven. Number seven, uh, the Holy Spirit's our comforter. That's what Jesus calls him over and over. Jesus was able to comfort the people he was with in the flesh when he was with them. You know, uh, there's a great story. Lazarus Lazarus, uh, died while Jesus was away. And when he got on the scene... These people, his friends who had seen him already raise the dead, they'd already seen miracle after miracle. Jesus gets to the grave a few days after he dies, and they're weeping. They're they're filled with sorrow. And I'm sure he was a little bit, well, in his flesh. I mean, Jesus always walked in spirit. I would have been a little confused by that personally. I'd have been like, why are y'all so upset? You've seen me do this before. However, Jesus knows our hearts. He knew what to expect. Yet he says, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead man comes alive and walks out of the grave. When Jesus arrived, he was a great comfort to them, especially when Lazarus Lazarus was resurrected. But when he wasn't there, they weren't comforted. In fact, they were weeping and mourning and filled with sorrow. Yet the Holy Spirit on the inside of every believer is our comforter and comforts us in times of uh, the unknown, comforts us when we aren't sure what tomorrow is going to look like, comforts us when we're not sure about our job situation. Boy, if you listen to the news, everybody's unsure about the economy and all that stuff like that. We don't need Jesus sitting beside us in our living room saying, hey, relax, you got this, I got you. You don't live by this economy. You live by an economy and a kingdom that's eternal and is not affected any of these things. We don't need him in the flesh looking at us in the eyes saying that because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And from the inside, even closer than the seat beside us, the Holy Spirit will comfort us. Allow that to happen in your life. Next time you start to feel the nervousness, next time you're faced with anxiety and fear, and anytime I mention anxiety and fear, I'm going to say this, so get used to it if you're not yet. Anxiety and fear do not come from the inside of a believer. Your insides are filled with power, love, and a sound mind. Anxiety and fear might come against you from the outside and try to get in there, but all you got to do is resist it. All you got to do is say no. Remind yourself that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he will comfort you. And talk to him like a friend. Sit down. Take some time alone. Holy Spirit, Jesus said you're a comforter. I need you to comfort me. He'll do it every time. He'll do it every time. I told this story last night. 
I'll tell it as we close and I'll invite the band to come back up. But uh, I spent some time with one, of the, with one of the kids in our church this week and his parents. He was dealing with some fear. He's, he's about the same age I was when I started dealing with a lot of fear. Um, I, I, I saw an episode of ER that freaked me out and I laid up in my bed every night thinking that I was going to die of some weird, rare disease for a couple years. I just cried every night, would cry myself to sleep. My mom would come in the room and try to comfort me. And uh, for, for years, I mean, for years, this went on in my life. And uh, this couple had heard me tell that story before. So they said, would you talk to our son? So we sat down and we talked and I read him Philippians 4 and I wrote him a prescription for fear that Paul gives us. Uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, step one, pray about it. Step two, tell God what you need. Step three, thank him for what he's done. Result, his peace will flood your heart and flood your mind. He'll chase the fear away. I wrote him that prescription and, and I've heard a great testimony. It's helped him all week. He hasn't been dealing with fear at night because he said, I've taken my prescription every night. That's pretty awesome, right? Some of us might need some childlike faith. See me after church if you need a fear prescription. You just heard me say it, but I'll be glad to write it down. And you can, uh, you can be like Kim and put a little tack right above your bed so you can uh, be reminded and take your prescription every night. But the Holy Spirit's our comforter. When I was, I don't know, 11 or 12, I'd been dealing with this fear for years, and my mom finally just said, I can't help you. If I could have helped you, I would have helped you three years ago. I've been trying. You have to go from Philippians 4, verse 8. Holy Spirit might even make it more unique for you, but he's your comforter. You don't need Jesus in the flesh sitting beside you, holding your hand, saying, it's going to be all right. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, saying, not only is it going to be all right, you got power, you got love, you got a sound mind. I am the creator. That means I got every creative solution that you might ever need on the inside of me. Just partner with me. I'll bring those to your remembrance. And I've given you the power to walk it out. I'm closer to you than a brother. I'm closer to you than the closest person you've ever known. It's pretty awesome. The people said, save us now to Jesus. I just can't imagine what he was thinking. Oh, you're about to be saved. I'm about to save you so good. I'm about to get rid of the sin issue. I'm about to heal your diseases. And then I'm going to come back for a little while, rise from the dead, walk around with you. And then I'm going to go away and send you and every believer from here through eternity, the greatest gift, the comforter. That's what you have on the inside of you. Jesus himself said, the Holy Spirit inside of you 
is better than me walking beside you. Thank you, Jesus, that we live in this day and age. Thank you, Jesus, for this awesome gift.